Let's turn to the book of Acts tonight, shall we? We are in Acts chapter 9, and we are going to find ourselves being introduced to, well, we already know this character, but we're going to be introduced to the new identity he finds. Amen? From Saul to Paul. Let's start at chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul. Isn't that something Luke is writing? He tells us about the, the revival in Samaria. He tells us about Philip going to the Ethiopian eunuch and the baptism and a great story uh, as the gospel's being spread. And then he says, but Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, Paul was still breathing threats and murder. It's interesting that... uh, the concept of him being a ravenous wolf. He's breathing out threats. He's not inhaling. The the Greek word for this is that he's exhaling threat. He's just breathing out threats. You're thinking of a panting wolf. In fact, early Christianity called Genesis 49, verse 27, when it talks about the inheritance that Jacob is giving to his grandson Benjamin, his son Benjamin, he says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. The early church believed that was a prophecy concerning Paul or Saul. What tribe was Saul from? Benjamin. And so they believe that this prophecy of the tribe of Benjamin was specifically talking about Saul. That in the morning he was a ravenous wolf. But what happened by the evening time through his conversion, he shared the spoils of the kingdom of God. And so it's interesting, Acts chapter 8 verse 3 says, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts 26, verse 9, Paul says this about himself, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus Christ. If there was one thing Paul hated, one thing he wanted to eliminate was the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. So he was going to go everywhere, ravenous to breathe out murder. Was he able to commit murder? Yeah, he he was in charge of stoning Stephen. And he felt righteous indignation in doing it. Now he goes to the high priest and he demands a letter that he can go anywhere in Judea and find anyone who followed in the way. Now why... That's the first reference we have for a name for followers of Jesus. Where do you think that came from? Jesus said, I am the way. He said, follow me. Right? And as we follow him, we follow him in the way. And that way is in Christ. 
And so the people who are followers of Jesus became known as the way. We belong to Jesus Christ. We are followers of the way. Do you know what the way is to? Where were we to follow Jesus to? The cross. That is the way. To follow Him to the cross. So, Paul said, I'm going to get anybody that is a follower of the way of Jesus. Any man or woman. And I'm going to bind them. There were two ways for Jews to uh, bring discipline. You have to understand, at this point, most of the believers were Jews. We see that in Samaria there was a new thing happening, right? We see an Ethiopian eunuch. But besides that, all the followers of Jesus were Jewish. So Paul felt that those who were following this this, uh, sect of Judaism that called the way that followed this Yeshua, they needed to be disciplined. He thought he was doing them a favor. They have to be disciplined. And there were two ways to discipline. One was flogging them, which was whipping them or beating them. The other was binding them and putting them in jail. These are the two ways to get them disciplined so they'll give up their foolishness. And that's what Saul was about to do. Now, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, which is far north from Jerusalem. All right, so he's heading on his way up past Capernaum to Damascus. And as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. He got arrested on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the thing that just struck me is, wasn't it nice that Jesus blinded him close to the city? You know, could now go the rest of the way, get into the city. I mean, he could have blinded him at any point. He waited for a while. Blinded him near the city. Now, in the book of Acts, there are three versions of this story. Paul tells his conversion story three times. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. And there are just teeny little bits of information differently from each one. Not contradictory, but adding a little more. Some of you might have a King James, a New King James. Some of you might have uh, a, a scripture that where Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How long will you kick against the prick? And it's not there in chapter 9. Um, most uh, biblical scholars believe that that was added there from the story in Acts 26. So we know that it did happen. We see it in his retelling of Acts 26, but they don't believe it was in the original language that a scribe put it there just so that it matched 26. So no harm here, no fault, no no problem with it. It happened, it was said. But we'll get into that in a minute. So Paul says, who are you? 
Lord. He doesn't say Lord as if he's worshiping Jesus. This is Kyrios. This is just a word in reference to a higher authority. Who are you, Lord? Okay? He doesn't know if it's an angel. He doesn't know if it's a, a demon. He doesn't know what it is. He just knows he's been struck by light. How many of you know Jesus is the light? Now, most of the facts are the same. I'm going to combine the three tellings. In chapter 9, he falls to the ground, hearing a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In Acts 26, he says, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language. So Jesus is speaking Hebrew. Did Jesus know Hebrew? Yeah, yeah he would have known Hebrew. Oh, okay. So he's saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, is it hard for you to kick against the pricks or the goads? Then it goes on and says, he says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. What does that mean? Why does he say you're persecuting me? Was Jesus hurt? persecuting people who believed in Jesus. They are the church. It's his body. It's his body. I still don't believe that the church gets this. I don't believe we really comprehend the fact that we are his body. You hurt a Christian, you're hurting Jesus. It hurts him. It hurts him. Paul was so specific on this that he said, if you being a believer take your body and join it to a prostitute, you're joining Jesus to a prostitute. That's pretty literal, wouldn't you say? So if you're going to kill a Christian, if you're going to persecute a Christian, you are persecuting me, Jesus says. Why? Why are you persecuting me? Okay? So who's got your back? Jesus. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is within us, right? All right, and that is the Spirit of Christ. That is Christ himself. That's how Christ knows and understands us, by his Spirit in us. And again, that's almost like having the blood of God in us. That's, that's his Holy Spirit in us. That You hit us, you touch him. Christ is in us. He's the hope of glory. So, amen, you're right on. All right, so Paul is breathing out ravenous hatred to the name of Jesus, persecuting Christians. He's persecuting Jesus. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you're going to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now, in chapter, uh, let's see, uh, 22, it says, they saw a light, but they didn't understand the voice. In uh, chapter 9 and 22, it says, Paul fell on the ground. In chapter 26, it says, they all fell to the ground. So if two of the accounts say, Paul fell to the ground... Does it contradict in 26 where it's, that it would mention they all fell to the ground? No. That's not a contradiction. They just didn't identify the other ones who fell. It said Paul fell to the ground. 
oh, pan the camera back a little, oh, they all fell to the ground. That's all he's doing there. So these are not contradictions. These are just different or sharper details. When you tell a story three times to three different audiences, do you highlight different things? All right. Now it says they saw a light. What did Paul see? Paul saw Jesus. He said he saw the resurrected Lord. Okay? Did they see Jesus? No. This light shone in his eyes, didn't it? It was so brilliant. Jesus is standing in front of him, appears to him. This brilliant light penetrates his eyes. They all fall down at the presence of Jesus. But they, they hear a voice, but they don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. Okay? Only Paul. So Paul is having this experience. Now, in 9 it says, go to the city. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen and what you're going to do. Saul rose from the ground, and all, although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. What's that mean? But it says his eyes were opened. I'm going to go a little further with it. How were his eyes opened? Spiritually, he saw Jesus. He knows Jesus is alive. He knows Jesus rose from the dead. His eyes were opened, but he's blind. So before, he could see, but he was blind. Now he can see, and he's blind. <laughs> Do you get it? All right? The world is blind to God, but you see and many times we're frustrated with, with the world because they don't get it. We get mad at them because they don't receive Christ. They don't accept what we have to say. But they're blind. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, one of the first things we need to do is when we're witnessing or praying to those who are dead in trespasses and sin, you must pray that the blinder is removed from their eyes. They need a Jesus experience. They need to have the blinders removed. And who puts the blinders on their eyes? Satan, the God of this age. They are blinded by the God of this age, lest the light of the glorious gospel shine in them. Paul's referencing his own experience. Okay? So when you're out witnessing, when you're out at the stores, when you're talking to somebody... Under your breath, whatever, if you can say it, you'll freak them out if you say it right to them. But anyways, pray that prayer. Father, remove the blinders from their eyes that they may see the light of the gospel. That they would see the light. Amen? Now he goes on, he says, So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither did he eat or drink. Why three days? Resurrection. So for three days without sight, he didn't eat, he didn't drink. There's nothing coming into him. He's just got to consider what's going on. Could you imagine, what would you be thinking for three days? No one's talking to you. You're not seeing, you're not eating, you're not drinking. Regret, <laughs> remorse, right? I just, 
probably some images of Stephen, right? You're wrestling. Has anybody here ever wrestled with God? (laughs) Yeah. 19, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. Ah, there he is. That's what he's doing for three days. He's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Okay, so that's what's going on. God's given him visions. He's praying. What do I do now? What's going to happen to me? I'm blind. Is my rest of my life, am I going to stay blind? How many of you have been in a place where you think, this is it, the rest of my life? But you didn't know it was only three days, maybe three years. I don't know. And he's praying, and God, why would God give him a vision of Ananias coming to him? What's he need to know for? Confirmation? Hope? He knows it's from God, and that's the confirmation. This, now, this is interesting. He's starting to hear from God. Was he hearing from God before? No, he was acting out of his own personal zeal for honoring God, but he wasn't told to do that. Now he's, okay, so now his ears have opened up. Now to heaven. His eyes have seen the glory of God. See, this is what's supposed to happen to all of us. You get saved, you now begin to hear from heaven. You begin to see heaven in the sense of spiritual vision and ears. So God says, I'm going to send someone to you. His name's Ananias. He's going to pray for you. All right. Because, you know, I mean, he's a bit of a pit bull. And Ananias knew that. <laughs> Listen to Ananias' response. You want, me, you want me to go where to who? Yeah. He says, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So word got out, Saul's on the way. They knew about it. He, Ananias lived in Damascus. He already heard about it uh, through the rumor mill. Uh, all you believers in Jesus, you better hide because a pit bull's coming. A ravaging wolf is coming. Oh, there he is. Ananias, I want you to go to him. Now, again, if he didn't say to Paul, Ananias is coming, maybe, Ananias, maybe Paul would have struck out or I don't know. Said Paul, someone's coming for you. Ananias said, I don't want to do this. Has anybody here ever like said, No, I don't want to do that, Lord? But for those who do it in ignorance, and this is what Paul says in Timothy, he said, I received mercy because I was a blasphemer and a murderer. He he calls it out. He said, I was a blasphemer and a murderer, but I received the grace of God because I was ignorant. So God doesn't get rid of us because of our ignorance. All right, let's keep going. So 
Ananias doesn't want to go. And the Lord says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Who wants that calling? Anybody? Who wants that calling? Who doesn't want to go preach before kings? Be careful who you envy. (laughs) Be careful of what you see in another brother or sister say, man, how come they got that and I didn't? You don't know what comes attached to all that. Right? So Saul was going to be used before Gentiles. That was... Why Saul? Why would you take the one who was a Hebrew of Hebrews, who was a a Pharisee, who studied under Gamaliel, who knew the law better than anyone else, why would you take that guy and send him to Gentiles? That's a good point that he could relate to Gentiles, right? He was as blind as any Gentile was, though... Here he is, a Jew. He was so blind to Jesus. But also, he had to defend the gospel going to the Gentiles. And who would know it better than a lawyer that understood the law, right? You would think Peter would go to the Gentiles and Paul would go to the Jews. But he said he would still preach to the children of Israel. Paul did have a deeper uh, uh, revelation he also had a a deeper knowledge of the world than most jews he studied their philosophers that's another good one he was a roman citizen so he could probably get to more places in the roman empire and in the then known world he's from tarsus So he uh, had a knowledge of Gentiles and government. And like I said, he he understood Greek philosophy. He he said, as some of your prophets say, some of your poets say, uh, in Acts chapter 17, we'll see that. So he, he understood the world that Gentiles lived in. He experienced the blindness that they had, didn't he? It's almost as if God knows what he's doing. He must have picked the right guy, right? And so, now, being a Roman citizen, did that, that ever work in his favor? Yeah, later on, we're going to find out he, he used that card. He was, he was a smart guy, right? Now, why would you use Peter to go to the Jews? He didn't go through all the Jewish education, rabbinical schools, and the deep theology that Paul did. Why would you take this fisherman and make him the one who was supposed to go to the Jews? He was one who was with Jesus, right? Yeah. It's part of what God does. He takes the foolish things to confound the wise. In fact, didn't they say that about Peter and John? Who are these guys? They're uneducated. But, but what goes on between Jesus' death and Paul's conversion? Church grows where specifically? Jerusalem. Who's in charge of the doctrine? We, James is in charge of what 
church? Jerusalem church. Who's in charge of the doctrine as to what Jesus said, didn't say, what the church must believe? The twelve. The twelve. Yes, the twelve. See, in modern scholarship today, they're trying to say that most everything we have in the Bible was made up. It's myth. That there was so much time between the writing of the gospel and Jesus' crucifixion that most of it is just word-of-mouth fables. They forget the key element, the twelve. They lived all the way till 90 A.D. John the Apostle was 90 A.D. They were the ones who, uh, the Apostles' doctrine is what the church studied. They heard it orally. And it was held as true. Okay, then we have, yeah, Paul getting saved. And if you'll remember, when Paul killed Stephen... Something shifted in the growth of the church. What and why? They went out because what happened? Persecution came in. Saul was the head of that. And it caused them, you smack it and all the embers went out into the world to set fire. And now the church was insulated into Judaism. Jesus tried to teach them it's bigger than Judaism. And now they're going out and they're meeting Samaritans and they're getting saved and Ethiopians and they're getting saved. And guess who he's going to use next in that major thrust? The one who brought the persecution, Saul. I have to tell him he's going to go before kings and the children of Israel. So Paul was stoned a couple times. He was shipwrecked and all that. Did he think he was going to lose his life at that point? Why? But in his very first prophecy over his life, he said, you shall speak before kings. He didn't speak to any kings before then. What could he count on? Not my time yet. Right? That's the importance of prophecy. Hold on to those things. Amen? All right, now... So Ananias departed and entered the house. There's a good faithful servant. And laying his hands on him, I wonder if it was like this. Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't go, all right, we need to do a theological test, first of all, to see if you truly are saved and if you believe. Now, were you sprinkled or were you dunked? Did you confess the triune God or did you just say this? Or what? You know what I mean? We've got all these formulas. He, he, God was in this thing. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, we, he didn't, they didn't go into every detail, did they? What do you think happened when the scales came off his eyes? He rejoiced. Confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. Got filled with the Holy Spirit. Probably speaking in tongues. 
and saying, let's baptize. You got baptized, rejoicing. Now let's eat dinner, celebrate. Luke just kind of consolidates that into a little statement. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Okay, now let's uh, add to that the other stories and it says uh, how much he must suffer for the namesake. Why Paul? Why did Paul have to suffer? Paul, was Paul the only Christian that had to suffer? No. Now every apostle was killed. Most of the Christians at this time are going to be martyred. So he has to know what he must suffer for the sake of my name. But isn't it interesting, Paul says, I had read to you in, in 26, he wanted to do everything he could uh, to oppose the name. Now he's going to give his life against every opposition to that name. The same fierceness God changes. You know, a lot of you have gifts and talents. Um, we got any, uh, you don't have to raise your hands, but you former drug addicts and alcoholics, really creative people. How many of you know that? Drug addicts, alcoholics, they're really creative people. Sneaky, know how to get what they want, right? And know how to work things. God redeems you and can redeem all that stuff in us. I don't know what you were before Jesus, but there were some amazing qualities and traits, and God can redeem them and now use them all for the kingdom. This stubborn guy, Paul, became stubborn for Jesus. Any strong-willed people here? (laughs) then be strong-willed for Jesus, right? Creative people, intellectual thinkers. How many of you are, are like nurturers, emotionally connected to people? How many of you are people people? Then God's redeemed that and put that in you to, to now flourish. That's what he did. Now, in 26, chapter 26, verses 16 to 18, Paul tells us that there was a more lengthy uh, call and prophecy over him. So let me read it to you. In Acts 26, 16 to 18, uh, Jesus said this to Paul, Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you. You're going to be a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What Paul experienced is exactly what he's to preach. He was put in darkness. He was blinded by the light of seeing Jesus. 
And that's what Jesus is going to use him. He's going to reveal, open his eyes back up, and he's going to go to the Gentiles who have not seen the light, who are blind, and he's going to show them the light. I'm telling you folks, you need tonight when you're laying on your bed, you need to take into account of many of the things that have happened in your life. Many of the things that have happened to you in your life are parables from God. You've gone through things that actually, if you will continue to live them out, will have purpose in the kingdom of God. Some of you were rejected, some of you were hurt, some of you were uh, whatever, and part of the whole reasoning of that is that God's going to redeem it to use it. How many of you know that many times people who come out of a particular lifestyle and get saved, their passion is to minister to the people in that lifestyle? I don't know how many people I know that came out of uh, witchcraft or heavily demonized or new age, and guess what they have the ability? To see the enemy like most Christians can't. Because they came out of that realm. Right? And so consider for you what you came out of. What, you know, God is using this. It's yours. It's available. All right, let's keep moving. Now, one more point I want to make. He does say this. How long will you kick against the pricks? Or how long can you take kicking against the ox goad? How many of you know what an ox goad is? It's a poker. All right, how long will you kick against the prick? So what would you use an ox goad for? You poke him. What is Jesus talking about? How long are you going to kick against the ox goad? What does he mean? Exactly, the stubbornness. All right, so... I'm thinking the ox goat is the Holy Spirit. He's kicking. He's moving us, right? So to the church, he was goading the church to get out and move. And Paul was kicking against that. That's a good one. I never heard that before. I like that a lot. I'm thinking because he was kicking, he was doing his own thing instead of what God really wanted him to do. But I'm also thinking the Holy Spirit was dealing with him. How long are you going to resist till he came up against Jesus? I think all of these work. How many of you have ever kicked against the ox goat? How how are your feet doing? (laughs) Have they healed up yet? All right, let's let's keep going. Now his ministry. Let's see what he does. Here's a timeline for us. All right, so he says he spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He's the Son of God. And all who heard were amazed, and they said, Isn't this the guy who created such havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon the name of Jesus? And has he not come here for that purpose, to bring and bind us before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, And he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, we're getting a condensed version. If you can see this slide, this is more of what happened. Paul gets saved. Acts 9.23 says he spent many days 
in Damascus, but he didn't start preaching right away. All right? I mean, literally, the guy just got saved. Next week, he's not going to start preaching. Galatians tells us in 117 that he went into the desert of Arabia. Okay? And he spent time with Jesus. He said, no man taught me the gospel. Christ taught me. Okay? And so he spends potentially up to three years in Arabia, and he comes back. He returned. Galatians 1.17 says, Then I returned once more to Damascus. So he went out into Arabia, got his head together, began to search scriptures and understand who the Messiah is. So he goes back to Damascus, and now he's starting to prove it from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And everybody's going like, what is going on? That's Saul. All right? And it says that uh, he escaped from Damascus and then later went to Jerusalem. In fact, it says it was up to 15 years from his conversion till he went back with Barnabas to Jerusalem. 15 years. How many of you are like complaining to God that you haven't done enough for him yet? It took 15 years to get Paul into a place of just starting. All right, so he, he goes out into the desert of Arabia, spends uh, time with Jesus, nobody taught him, uh, and then he goes forth. Hey, by the way, what was one of the, what was one of the uh, uh, rules for becoming an apostle of the Lamb? Had to be taught by Jesus for how many years? His three-year ministry. Had to see the resurrected Lord. He did, didn't he? That's why Paul says that he was a man birthed out of a different time or a dis- different season than the others. So we don't know where to put Paul. He's not part of the 12 that were elected by Jesus, but yet he's more than just the apostles of the New Testament. He's this one unique agent. Now, then he went to Damascus. But something happened in Damascus when he went back. He's preaching. And it says this. uh, Many days passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. This is the way his ministry is going to go the rest of his life. But his disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, and lowered him in a basket. All right? We're going to see later he goes to Jerusalem. Let's focus on this for the rest of the study. He's got to escape by night. Paul gets into a lot of close calls from here on out. People are always wanting to kill him. Because he's preaching the gospel. What do we have to look forward to? If we're really going to preach the gospel. Look, if you don't want to, if you don't want to get involved, just, just watch TV. But if you want to get involved... The enemy's going to come against you. I think it's time for us to get involved. 
right? Would you say that right now our country needs the Christian light? Okay. So I want to share with you this particular time. It's something I learned overseas in China, that when um, it was from the Koreans, the South Koreans, uh, Brad Jordan from Hong Kong taught me this, and he said they would have church services and they would have the basket prayer. The basket prayer is based on this scene in the book of Acts. And what they'd do is they'd bring a big old basket out and put it in front. And they would ask the believers three questions from the basket prayer. All right? So this was inspired by this event. It's not in Scripture. It's the church getting creative. Here's the three points. Am I in a place that threatens the enemies of Christ? Why was Paul in a basket being lowered down the wall? It was a threat to the enemy. Now, who ultimately was trying to kill Paul? Satan. The demonic realm. Ultimately. Right? So, if I were to put a basket up here, one of the first questions we have to ask ourselves about our lives is, am I in a place that threatens the enemy of Christ? Am I hanging in the balance of the future, of consequences and what's going to go on? Now look, at you might say, yeah, but come on, I, I, I got a job that I have to have to support a family and a wife. I got to go to every day. I just can't quit that. Uh, I, I got to take care of this or that. I got kids or... But can't you pray? Can you become a threat to the enemy because of your prayer life? So that's the first question you have to ask yourself. Am I in the basket? Am I a serious threat to the enemies of Christ? And we're not talking about people. We're talking about the demonic realm. I mean, you still have to go to the grocery store, don't you? I think the grocery store is like the the most wonderful mission (laughs) place ever. Yeah, man, aisle after aisle, you just meet people constantly. That's how much impact you have. But you got to get in this basket, right? Here's the second point of the basket. Am I relying on the body of Christ for help? No lone rangers. We're in a time right now where everybody's separated. Listen, Paul's life and his entire future ministry was held in the hands of those disciples who were lowering him down the wall. How come we don't know any of their names? Larry, Moe, and Curly. <laughs> lowering him down. He's going like, oh Lord Jesus. I haven't preached to any kings yet. <laughs> I'm holding on. Oh, You know, many of us, we don't have enough patience to work with other people. We're not, you know, they're not doing it the way we want them to do it or this or that. We need the body of Christ. We have to hang 
together. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, was in the hands of I don't know how many guys in a window. And he hung between heaven and earth. He was a threat to the powers and principalities in the heavenlies. But he needed his brothers and sisters to move in his calling. Last of all, am I where Christ wants me to be? Right now, he's hanging between that wall and the ground. I don't know how quick he's going to make it to the ground. I don't know how smooth the landing. Was Paul where he should have been? How many times do you think Paul questioned, am I in the right place? There's a time we'll see later where he says, where Jesus says to him, don't quit preaching. Why do you think Jesus said don't quit preaching? Because I'm thinking he wanted to quit preaching. Right? He would have to go to the next town just to get healed from all the wounds And do you really, I I would imagine he thought, how long do I have to put up with this? How long do I have to do this? Am I in the right place? Wouldn't it be easy when you're getting lowered down a window with threats of death? Maybe I'm not doing this right. According to the prosperity preachers, I should be driving out of this city in a Cadillac. Why am I in a basket? Now, I'll confess, I've asked that question myself. Why am I scrimping and saving like this? But how many of you have asked, am I in the right place? Because sometimes the right place doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, but it is right. Right? Sometimes I feel like I'm not doing anything, just sitting here in a hospital holding somebody's hand. And that's where you should be. That's where you should be. Yes. Yes. And we're in the right place. And we're relying on the body of Christ. So this basket illustrates what it takes. It's in the night. Nobody knows. Nobody sees the glory in it. Nobody's got spotlights on them. The beginning of his ministry hangs in the balance. He's in the right place, doing the right thing, as a threat to the heavenlies. They want him killed immediately. They wanted to kill Paul right after his conversion. Paul ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Boy, if the enemy could have killed him, that would have been the time. And they repeatedly try. But God would not let it happen. So the basket prayer from Saul to Paul is our story. It's your story. You used to be a Saul, now you're a Paul. All right? Maybe you were a Saltine, now you're a Pauline. (laughs) That's for the women. (laughs) That just came to me. It was genius. Anyways, but this, this is the pinnacle of the story that we all have to live out for our, our lives. All right? So, let's imagine you're sitting in a basket right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's concentrate on Jesus. You're sitting in a basket.
And you have come to the realization that the enemy hates you. You know he's tried to kill, steal, and destroy your faith. If you know that you have an enemy like that, raise your hand. If you've come in contact with that, all right? Yeah. You're a threat to that enemy. He wants to discourage you and he wants to cause you to give up and get out of this basket. What are you going to tell him? Get lost. No. Secondly, you're hanging between that window and the ground and you're being held up by your brothers and sisters. How many of you feel the the help and the love of any of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Okay. Maybe not so many hands. Maybe some have let you down. Don't give up on the body of Christ, please. If there's any word I can say for these days, do not forsake the assembling together. Don't give up on the body of Christ. Hold on to each other. Last of all, ask yourself as you're in this basket, am I where Christ wants me to be? And if you, if you feel that you need to change that or move in a direction, then get the help from the body of Christ. Don't be a lone ranger about it. Get some counsel, get some wisdom, and get some help from them. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for what we've learned tonight from Paul. That we are all uniquely called and chosen. Some to greater exploits than others, but the key here is how much we will love and serve Jesus Christ. In our little corner of the world, will we be found faithful? So I pray for that faithfulness upon this body, these people, as they've come out tonight. Lord God, bless them, enrich them, strengthen their walk, cause us as a people to be a major threat to the heavenlies. Cause us to be a body knit together tightly and cause us to hold our positions to be where we were called to be and to pray and fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we would win the lost and bring the light of the gospel to this dying world. We thank you for this basket. This basket is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters.